0: welcome to the Phil Craft Survival Podcast. It's your host, Mike, and we are sponsored, if you didn't know that already, sponsored by KillCliff.com. Use Survival10 at KillCliff.com to save 10%. KillCliff, one of my favorite energy drink companies, because it's not all the crap that you get in normal energy drinks, all natural. I like the CBD. It's got 25 milligrams of CBD, and you guys can pick that up 10% off at Survival10 at checkout at KillCliff.com. Also, we're sponsored by KC Highlights. That's dot com. If you go to checkout, you can save 10% by using Philcraft, one word, at kchighlights.com. We're about to do the, uh, the uh, King of the Hammers Challenge, which is a nine-hour endurance race. Good buddy Derek and Mike are running the gauntlet in that Sequoia. If you've never been to um, Overland Expo West, by the way, come check us out in September. But last time we were there... Pre-COVID, of course, we had Derek's vehicle, his big Sequoia hooked up inside of her booth. He's racing that in King of Hammers, and Casey Highlights are going to be all over that rig to be able to navigate through the darkness. Use Fieldcraft, one word, at checkout on kchighlights.com. Also, this podcast is sponsored by triarchsystems.com. Big shout out to Chris Reeves and all the guys at Triarch. Custom pistol rifles, everything custom. Look, the industry is hurting right now who's not hurting his custom guns um, because they're making them custom. So if you're interested in any custom guns, the best custom gun manufacturer in the US, in my opinion, is Triarc Systems. I got the Tri-11, one of my favorites, and my truck gun is a Tri-11 M4 carbine. That's T-R-I-A-R-C systems.com. Use Philcraft, one word, to save 5% on any custom build. Hey guys, on this podcast, I had the opportunity to interview a buddy of mine, Yusuf, who is an expert, expert at situation awareness. What does that mean? Like situation awareness is a broad topic. A lot of people talk about situation awareness, but he teaches curriculum and understanding the process and how to execute situation awareness in your everyday life. If you go to emergencedisrupt.com, that's E-M-E-R-G-E-N-C-E disrupt.com, you can go check them out. But just now we booked a course with him he'll be here february 20th at philcraft hq in heber city utah february 20th at philcraft hq here in heber city utah yusuf will be teaching a situational seminar look situational awareness is a conscious thing that you have to apply we get into the weeds of his story also some techniques and tactics that you could use on the ground to benefit you Situational awareness here we go guys Yusuf thanks for coming out man Hey appreciate the uh, invite Mike and it's a pleasure to be here really thanks for having me come out So you, you flew in this morning into Salt Lake where'd you, where'd you come from?
1: Uh, I flew in from Orange County, California a little town called Dana Point a little surfer town in California
0: Dude I, I was just I mean, this is kinda how we we sunk this meeting together. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in LA teaching uh, for Byron's course. Yeah, Byron, course. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Byron's Good Peoples, mm-hmm. and I didn't, so I was born in Cali at Fort Ord. Okay. What, what, spent some time in California, wasn't the biggest fan of Cali, um, politics aside, because mm-hmm. of homelessness, uh, the, the tax rates, a whole mm-hmm. bunch of stuff, and so I moved out, and, I'm not familiar with LA, but where I train with Byron at, that whole area Mm -hmm. is beautiful. Yes, it is. It's It's completely different then uh, like, I mean, I guess it's downtown, Mm -hmm. like people think of um, LA as being Skid Row, but there's so, I mean, it's a largely populated area. Yeah,
1: there hugely. And it's crazy because you'll go to those ranges and and Hollywood shoots back there all the time too, Yeah, because you will literally cross a line of, this is like downtown crazy LA, and you'll flip this down this dirt road and you're in this beautiful Canyon for nothing but acres. And you could be in some country Western, you know? That's
0: so crazy, man. Mm -hmm. So, you don't sound like a Yusuf.
1: Yeah, yeah, I get that a lot. If people even know where that comes from, yeah.
0: Well, so where does that come from? That's Kuwaiti, right? Yeah,
1: originally uh, I'm from Kuwait. Uh, my mom's, my dad's Kuwaiti. My mom's American, so kind of half and half. Uh-huh.
0: So your mom's American, mm-hmm. dad's Kuwaiti.
1: Yep. I'm assuming your mom met your dad in Kuwait. No, actually, uh, met him in Michigan. There's a, and, and I say Way Michigan, awful. yeah. Well, I, I say Michigan, everyone's like, oh, you're from Dearborn because the Arabs, I'm like, no, I'm not from Dearborn. <laughs> they went to, they met going to um, college. Uh, my mom was going to college to be a nurse, he was going to be um, an aircraft engineer, and that's how they kind of met off back in the day. And uh, yeah, and I, I had my brother and sister, but I was the only one actually born in Kuwait. Everybody was born here, everybody met here, but I was the uh, only one actually born there when they moved back.
0: Wow, so they moved back to Kuwait. Mm hmm. Um, I'm assuming
1: in the eighties. No, no, this was, this was done. after it, so desert storm happened. We'd been living there our whole lives. Yeah. Desert storm happened. Oh, my mom and smuggled me, my brother and my sister out using Canadians. And yeah. we got out. We actually had to, a- after that, we actually had to fly into Baghdad airport to get out, you know, but they had occupied that place the whole time.
0: So they met when they were real young. Yeah, yeah. And then Younger moved college. back to Ku- yep. Kuwait. Got married, had kids, and moved to Kuwait. And so what's the history there? Like Kuwait, a lot of people don't understand the history, and, I, and there's some gaps for me. Mm-hmm. But Kuwait is at the southern tip of Iraq, right?
1: Yeah, it's right there on the Gulf. It's one of the GCE countries, Gulf. So it's Kuwait, Abu Dhabi, or I'm sorry, UAE yes, uh, right. Gulf country. So it's tiny, tiny, tiny little country.
0: So was Kuwait always an independent country from Iraq or was it part of Iraq?
1: So back in like whenever the British Empire came down like even before like Lawrence Arabia it was all just desert it was all just nomadic tribes of all the same people you know that that tribe the Delaney tribe this tribe and they all just wandered around the desert you know and then the British and started drawing lines and that's when it started to break up so technically you go back far enough it's all one big tribe Uh, but no by right about I think don't quote me on those 40s, 50s British said, you know what, Kuwait, you're a podunk little little state. You got nothing going. You got dirt and nothing. We don't need you. So you are gonna you can be independent. And they're like, okay. And then like five years later, they found oil. Wow. <laughs> so from there, like Kuwait's a country the size of Maine. And it, if it wanted to, it could like produce like 70% of the world's oil population or some crazy wow. number so like that. So they're super wealthy. Super wealthy. hugely so, wealthy.
0: So the, that was, and we had just talked about it pre-podcast. Uh, that was the place that was known as um, um, Desert Shield. Yes. Because it was the occupation uh, where we were staged in mm-hmm. Kuwait, other places as well, but we were staged there waiting to launch in for Desert Storm, right? Yep, yep. You were there when that when that stuff happened as Absolutely. a kid. Absolutely. Do you yeah. remember, do you have yeah. memories of
1: that? Yeah, yeah, I was like, uh, you know, you'd think I'd be a, a smart enough kid to understand there was danger happening, but, uh, you know, I remember being on the roof of my house and my dad, you know, being on my dad's shoulders and watching the Iraqi T-52 tanks roll in down the highway. Wow. You know, uh, I didn't understand, I was, you know, a very happy kid. I thought it was cool, you know, not realizing all this stuff. But yeah, we were there for about four or five weeks into the occupation. And Iraqis, at the time, Iraq had like the third largest army in the world. So they rolled over. The Kuwaiti forces like a speed bump. It wasn't even there. Wow. So so you
0: guys had already contested the Iraqi, uh, um, you guys were, was Kuwait military involved in that desert storm push? (laughs)
1: For military, as much as you call, call yeah, them that, I all mean,
0: handful of, of them,
1: you know, like, let's say every one of them was a Spartan warrior. I mean, you're probably talking about a couple thousand people. It's not a huge, you know, military yeah. or army. So that was a speed bump. And then Iraq had been saying that, oh, we were drilling their oil and all that stuff. So yeah, it was, it was very quick, you know, for four weeks I was there, but we actually got kind of got moved out
0: later on. So you guys had to pop smoke and, and, and for your family safety yeah. get back to the states.
1: Yeah, so the 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 rule was Saddam came down and said, "Hey, look, if you're American, you got a passport. I think it was everyone. Anyone who had a foreign passport that wasn't Kuwaiti, he's was just like, "Get out. You're all all yali ox and free don't talk to anybody." So, we, we got moved out in this area by Canadians. That's why I was got a special place in my heart for them. And then Part of the deal, I can't remember how this happened, but we had to fly into Baghdad. So here's my mom with you know oh, wow. three kids. I'm young, I'm six seven. I have no idea what's going on. We go up to the the gate thing, you know, and if you were Kuwaiti, they could draft you. So my brother's looks kind of Kuwaiti. And he's 15. He looks older. The guy at the gate goes, nope, he's not going. That this dude's Kuwaiti. Whoa. And as at the gate, he's going to go be constricted in the Iraqi army, like in front of my mom and everybody. Yeah. And as the story goes, a CNN guy. Everyone was watching people get on and yeah. kind of had the velvet rope. Allegedly, the CNN guy jumps over that thing and he sticks a mic in the Iraqis face and he goes, you mean to tell me you're not letting American citizens on the plane? This was the plan. And Because like, he was dual citizen. Yeah, and yeah, dual citizen. And I think at that time, the flight corridor... They're like, if you don't let those people leave, we're like, okay, you got something going on, quit. But if you don't let the foreigners leave, we're gonna bomb you into the stone age. Yeah. So he did that and that soldier was like, uh, get on the plane, get on the plane. You wow,
0: know? man, so that's crazy. That's how close it was, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and, if it, and I mean, it, it didn't work out for the Iraqi army in oh, no. either war, um, but oh my gosh, that's crazy. So you get on the plane and you head back to the States and then you're starting a life. Do you remember that transition as like you like how what was Kuwaiti
1: life like as a kid for you? (laughs) I mean, yeah, that transition, big question. I mean, you're going from Kuwait, where you know 120 degree weather, you have that Gulf country. Like I grew up basically, I would say middle class, you know, compared to the people around me. Yeah, Um, but uber 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 wealthy people, like you're you're talking about, like eight year olds with their own car, all this crazy stuff. Wow! And then transition to a little podunk town in Michigan. Yeah, uh, like a farming town where it's, you know, 12 degrees outside. So one thing I had going for me was I still visited my family every year. So uh-huh. it's like it wasn't like coming to America. Like, hey, <laughs> you know? um, I, I had family here. Um, everyone's like, oh, your, your accent. I can't even hear it. I'm like, yeah, quick learner. Like, I've never had an accent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you, you, your first uh,
0: language was English, I'm assuming.
1: Sort of. You know, yeah. it's English. Yeah, it is English. But in our household, and this is... Not just me, man. This is other Kuwaiti. There's a ton of Kuwaiti Americans uh, and British Americans all through that desert storm time that got married and had kids. And I always laughed like your people, you know, the the alphabet suit people talk about a recruitment center. There's a bunch of blonde hair, blue eyed Americans that can speak, you know. Fluent street Arabic. Yeah, you know, but, yeah. um, so that would help the transition. But yeah, then I landed there and did first, first grade, did the uh, first year there while the occupation happened.
0: So it's funny, you were talking about how like, they asked if you were in Dearborn, because mm-hmm. that's a huge yep. um, uh, Muslim population. Mm-hmm. Did you, growing up as a kid, I mean, this was post, I remember the movies of the 80s mm-hmm. and even the 90s, early 90s, when I grew up, there was a whole bunch of movies, like, it, it, we weren't very culturally sensitive mm-hmm. so we were make, every action movie had the arab guys like true lies yeah, yeah. that was in the 90s the bad guys were the arab guys mm-hmm. did you experience any kind of that thing where you felt like oh man I, i'm what what is this
1: you know it's it's going through michigan being in a small podunk town in michigan this is farm town usa my name is yusuf you know i have like i'm literally the fourth fourth of four ethnic kids in this entire high school yeah I joined the Marine Corps infantry during, you know, uh, after 9 11, shortly yeah. after 9 11 with the name of Yusuf. So you're expecting me to tell you all these horrible incidents of hazing and the Marines be. None never happened, man. That's awesome. And, and I'm not saying, maybe it's because I'm oblivious of it. Yeah. I think part of it's how you carry yourself. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know, for sure. That's part of it, but literally nothing, man. You know, nothing my whole life, nothing overt that stands out in my head. Maybe it's because I don't look Arab. I don't know.
0: But. Yeah. Yeah, you look like a redneck from Michigan.
1: <laughs> you know where I get the shit from, Mike? Was where? I was like I got it from uh, other Iraqis and stuff, <laughs> you know. Oh yeah, there's yeah. super like yeah. there's a
0: I mean in the intercultural mm-hmm. even, you know, Sunni Sh- uh, Shia oh, yeah. obviously. Oh yeah. Um the Kurds would make fun of all both of them oh, because yeah. they'd be like what are these guys doing? Yep. And there's a whole bunch of tribes within mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. those sects. It was it was crazy, man. It's the- it, it there's a lot of toxicity in every oh, culture, but um, that's good to hear, man, because what's cool about your story and I think what's interesting for me and wanting you to be on the podcast is you being an expert in situational awareness. That's very hard. You can't fake that. It's right? a big
1: boast. It's yeah, big, it's, that's a big statement. Yeah, because yeah. you,
0: know? you could you could fake being a tactical instructor with not mm-hmm. a big experience. Because if you shoot well technically, then nobody's really going to uh, judge that. Yep. But to learn to the, to learn the tactics to communicate situational awareness tangibly to mm-hmm. people, including civilians, which yep. we'll get into later, mm-hmm. you have to have experiences. Mm-hmm. And for you, those experiences started in the Marine Corps. Yes. Uh, I mean, it started as a child, because yeah. even that yeah. story, I mean, you grew up, you were, you were essentially bred into war, yeah. or bred through Basically. war. Yeah. Um, and then you get to the Marine Corps. How was the experience for you in the Marines?
1: So. You know, obviously I love the Marine Corps and never say anything bad about the gun club. Uh, But it was really interesting, specifically my tour. So to hit on something you mentioned, I obviously didn't have the normal Marine Corps experience. So I joined, I'm an Arabic speaker, you know, so I was an infantryman that spoke Arabic. So, you know. You're you're the interpreter. uh, Oh, Uncle Sam got his 10 pounds of sugar out of my butt, you know. And it's funny because they'd use proper like Cat 1 or okay, like Cat 3s, you know, the Iraqi uh, linguists who, you know, speak. They're they local know, nationals, right? Yeah, local, Cat local three, nationals yeah. or whatever. Or you'd have someone who's like someone who is like has a PhD in Arabic, yeah. but they're speaking it at such a high level. Yes. The normal people yeah. when you have a meeting, they're like, oh, what are you saying, man? Like, yeah. I don't understand. And they'd have me, the dum-dum. Who I couldn't pass an Arabic test if, if if my life depended on it, they'll be like, "Hey, bring you, man. Yeah, I don't you know what he, Arabic." Yeah, exactly. The yeah. gutter Arabic, you know. So, that, that, so
0: I'm assuming. Did they ever use you as like the mole? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. We did uh, some interesting stuff. Um, we we do stuff every once in a while, and we'd we'd raid or do something, and the phone would ring, and I just hear people would be yelling, do the phone's ringing." So I'd run over to the phone and answer that thing. I'm like, yo, yeah, oh, what's up, Jim? What's up, brother? And you know, I'd crinkle paper, paper in it, and I'd just talk to them. They'd usually get pretty savvy really quick. Um, there were instances, there was one time we were outside of Fallujah, um, Karma. A little crappy town outside of Fallujah. It was really high intensity. This is about- The name what, of the town is Karma? Karma, yeah, 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 yeah. It's literally Karma. love that. Yeah, and it's where all the squirters left Fallujah and ran in there. So we're, we're there and my captain, who I will not say his name, but captain comes up with a good idea. This is like middle of downtown. Like, hey, we take in the school and there are a bunch of dish dashes and nice dress wear. And the thing he's like, Yusuf, check it out. We need to do a patrol. So we're going to have the patrol going down the street. You're going to put this stuff on and you're going to parallel. And at first I was, I'm a Lance Corporal. I'm like 19. <laughs> I'm like, hell yeah. Give me a, give me a nine, no man. Miss. Let's do some Jason Bourne, you know? And he goes, I'm like, yeah, I'll just trail behind. He goes, no, 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 you're gonna be a block over. We need to see whatever. I'm like, well, who's coming with me? And they're like, no, you're gonna be a block over by yourself. I'm like, are you kidding me? So I don't say anything. I'm 19, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm
0: Lance Corporal. Know, Roger that.
1: Roger that, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I'm Jason Bourne. And my first sergeant like walks in and he and he's looking at me and he's looking at the captain and he goes, what's up, sir? And he goes, check this out Gunny, you're gonna love this, and he explains it to him, and he just looks at me, he goes, but dude, get out. I'm like, roger that. And the first sergeant just lit and he's like, are you freaking kidding me? Like Geneva Convention, like all this dude, stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, all sorts of shenanigans, but yeah, you know, ain't so, cheating, ain't trying.
0: So you got, you had uh, good experiences in the Marine Corps, and then learned a lot through war. Um. What's the decision for you to get out of the Marines and do something different?
1: Yeah. So let me rewind before that because it gets even wilder. Is I got I did get out of the Marine Corps. I got out. I did my I did my four years. O two to O six. You know, mm-hmm. got out. Okay. But everyone knows when you sign four years, you got to sign the four years IRR yeah, inactive, inactive Radio reserve
0: ready reserve. Yeah. So which you means know, for people listening, to this that's like you're on call. But you don't have to report. Yep. But that means you're available for war anytime. Yeah, yeah.
1: And technically, and like you're a civilian. You yeah, have yeah, nothing yeah. to do with anybody. Yeah. And like the last time they used this was probably Desert Storm. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. So fast forward. I've been out living. I'm working for Ford in Huntington Beach, California. And my wife calls me, freaking out. The Marine Corps sent you something. It's official. Blah blah blah. God, come home. I'm like, nah. It's a muster sheet. It's a muster sheet. So we all have a laugh. It was a muster sheet. Two months later, same thing. She's freaking out. You need to come home. Marine Corps sent you something, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, it's a muster sheet. And she's like, there's a boarding pass in the package. They've sent you a plane ticket. And I'm Whoa. like, I've been gone from the Marine Corps a year and a half. EAS gone. And I come home, original orders and a plane ticket. Get your ass to Missouri. You've been involuntary recalled. Really? Yeah. So. I've never heard of that. Yeah, I know most people haven't. <laughs> most so people
0: haven't. Uh, this is, I'm assuming, seven, eight. Uh, two thousand seven, two thousand eight time period. This
1: is, uh, so my original contract was oh two oh six. I got out oh six. Was recalled in, in like middle of two thousand seven. Barely a year and Whoa. a half. This is after three tours, three combat tours. Barely a year and a half. And they said, "Come on back." So,
0: um, uh, just for historical purposes, because I, I was at war during this time period a lot. Seven was a surge. Mm-hmm. Yep, there were surge in troops, and also, I mean six. Uh, historically six, seven, and eight in Iraq specifically were some of the worst years. Rock and roll. It was, dude, it was crazy. Um, good times. <laughs> so seven, they recall you because they're. I'm assuming they're surgeon troops. It's a surge, yep. How many guys get, do you know that got recalled in that?
1: Yeah. So I was the first class of, I want to say five or six, seven maybe, seven of them, total classes of about 300. Wow. And who'd they bring back? Admin, support, all infantry. All, All these, in, Every one of us who came in and did like three tours, you know, that generation. Yeah, yeah. Every one of us got recalled back. Wow. So someone, they, it was for the surge, someone finally got smart and said, oh crap, we can't send these three tour infantrymen back for a fourth after we've recalled them. Yeah. Because if they die or get hurt, that's going to be horrible, you know? Yeah. So that turned into... Okay, you don't have to go deploy. You just have to come to the Marine Corps. You have to do something. We don't care what it is. Join the reserves. Join the unit over here. Yeah. And that's where Combat Hunter comes in.
0: Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so, wow, that's so interesting. I'm, well, no, it's I've weird, never, man. I've never it's, heard it's that. It's weird. Yeah. But they so they give you which is a bad pr- protocol, right? I mean, that protocol was the last time used in Desert Storm. Yep. And for
1: needed MOSs, they had like COM MOSs. Yeah. No one knew how to do this widget. So yeah. they're like, hey, we need Bob back, but yeah. not like this, where they're just, you know.
0: Yeah, it's almost like a draft.
1: Yeah, I thought it was because of my Arabic.
0: Yeah, I, thought so. I, I was going to say the same thing. And like, I was
1: like, yeah, you got me for my Arabic, yeah. right? And they're like, nah, Badoo, B-A, you're next on the list. <laughs> it was just alphabetical. They're wow. like, we recalled this group and you're just the B's, you know. They're like, you speak Arabic? I'm like, no. Do no they make no you have to
0: do a retrain or anything?
1: Yeah, we get, we get to Mobcom, Missouri, we get a check-in list. This is complete civilians, man. Goatees, beards, I'm pretty sure a quarter of the people there were you know, on some type of drugs, you know? Yeah. People been out, you know? Yeah. And they come up with a checklist and it's got all these things. They're like, look at block 2A in the checklist. And I had like admin, HIV, all this. And look at 2A and we're looking at and it says, your analysis. And they're like, just go ahead, go ahead and cross that one out. Just go ahead and cross <laughs> that out. And we're like... And they're like, you know what? We don't want to know. Come to find out, they recalled the first class, and half of them pissed through the cups. So they had to DQ them. No, no harm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they couldn't recall them. So they're like, we yeah, don't want to know. Yeah, we're gonna ch- check. <laughs> if they're doing it, stop doing it.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. And then, so I'm assuming, like you, at the time, what, what rank did you get out at? I was, first at I was so a corporal. So you're a corporal. Yep. Did you stay as a corporal when they recalled you guys, or did they start your ranks over?
1: So I got. I, uh, my buddy calls me. I was going. I was headed back for a fourth tour. I had signed up for a fourth tour. You know, yeah. I needed the money. Civilian life sucked. You know? yeah. So People you're like, I'll just go down. range. Where I, I know combat. Yeah. You know? Civilian life was a little tougher. You know. So yeah. I'm like, it, it was a security detail for some general, some cush. You know. And my friend calls me. Hey, we're standing up this new program. Blah blah blah. He explains it to me. I've never heard of it. And he goes, we get to travel a lot, and they pay a lot of per diem. I was like, done. You know. So join the unit. That's where my mind was blown. That's where I realized what this Combat Hunter program, what it was teaching people. And that's when I got very angry, Mike. Yeah, very angry because when I got that training, eh, everyone around me was kind of newer guys. Everyone's high five and like, man, this is Whiz Bang, this is Jason Bourne, this is awesome training. Now I was in the back shaking my head, pissed because I was like, man, this this could have brought my friends home. This could have yeah. Explain the,
0: the explain the program and and if you know the origin, like the origins sure. of it, and then what it does for the military.
1: Sure, yeah, let's go down a rabbit hole. So this is about 2004, 2005 time frame, uh upper Baghdad area, dealing with a really, and I'll, I'm sure you probably know this stuff, Mike, I'm just talking well, no, no, for, no, your, no, for, for sure. your listeners, yeah. 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 We're dealing with a, the, a really bad enemy sniper, the Juba sniper, mm-hmm. you know? You seem to film adaptations, they make him out as an Olympian shooter, whatever, but uh, they never really get it right. It's much more sinister. What they show you in movies, the The real life thing is much more sinister. Yeah. We were basically being hunted. Marine soldiers, sailors, we were out there being hunted. And you ask any marine, that's not a good feeling. You'd take these well aimed shots. You'd be on post. Your buddy'd get shot in the chest, and that was it. There was no follow on ambush. There was no IED. There was nothing to fight. You know, and they'd slink back into the population. So this was happening a lot. General Mattis at the time said, "You know what? Screw that. We are we are not. Marines aren't hunted. We're hunters." So I need you to go find me anyone who has anything to say about environmental awareness, situational awareness, being cunning, tactical cunning. You know, mm. being kind of savvy outside of convention. Exactly yeah. outside of convention. You know, Mattis—he's always talking about engage your brain before you engage your weapon system. Mm-hmm. So this Above was his. Mattis, yeah. yeah, this is his child. So they do that. What pops out is the combat hunter program, and it's three tier basically. It it teaches. Um, you uh, to enhance your observation. So how to use binoculars, optics, tricks of the eye,
0: you know? Yeah, yeah. Seeing is believing. Trained observation, Trained right? Trained observation. Because people think seeing is observing. It's not. There's tactics yep. even through the glass of observing.
1: And I don't care how cool guy, sniper, SEAL Team 6 you are, if you're not actively paying attention to it, there's tons of information that's flying past you. So we start with that and we build on the enhanced observation. We we would move on to tactical tracking, Mm -hmm. so ground sign awareness. So we're going to learn to profile with no people. So, no no people around, but I got a ton of ground information, which can tell you tons of information. And then, now we start profiling people. So we've done observation, we've done how to look at the ground, now let's how to look at the people, you know? And it's all these little, it's not rocket science, Mike. Everyone thinks like, oh, you're the subject matter expert. When I tell you these things, it's like, you ever need the tracking, you know, any tracking you've done? If anyone explains it to you, it's not that complicated. Yeah. It's just it's common sense
0: com- when it's been told to you. Exactly. You're like, oh, I, I've been seeing it, but I never realized it yeah. was that and now I could pay yeah. attention to it.
1: And is that ever going to trick you ever again?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Now you're always going to see it. Yeah. So that's all I do is I come in and I bash people's heads in with tons and tons of observable indicators. I throw all these pre-event indicators against the wall. I'm hoping 10, five, 10 pounds sticks.
0: Yeah. And it's the thing that we, What I love about uh, even teaching situation awareness like uh, you learn in the program is that it's all things we naturally are capable of in the first place. But we often have gotten complacent in because we're just doing our thing. We're just living our behavioral primal lives. But then you start paying attention Mm -hmm. and attention is not just focus and focus is not just, you know, like people think. Uh, a trained observer is trained because there's some ninja skill. Mm-hmm. It's a deliberate process that's even as minute as looking and scanning through the glass. Yep. You know, d- depending on how you. Uh, it's, what a school you're going. Yeah, it's, it's a checklist. Yeah, it's a checklist. Exactly. That's all it is.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And someone shows you and they go, oh, yeah, let me give you an example. Like one of the big things I teach, one of the first one things I teach is situational awareness. So, I want to teach you situational awareness by looking for situational awareness. So if I have someone who's constantly looking behind them, checking their six, someone who walks into a restaurant, puts their back up against a wall. Someone while you ever walk into a Walmart and look up? Yeah. What are you looking up at? Oh, you mean the ceiling? Yeah. What are you looking at? Cameras? Cameras. Yeah. You find yourself doing that? Oh yeah, all the time. So here's the cool thing. 99% of the population is completely oblivious to everything I just said.
0: Yeah. Most
1: people don't pay attention. So if I walk into somewhere and I see someone who's paying attention, guess what, brother? You got my full attention. I mm. don't know if you're good or bad, but of all these sheep in here, you're the only one with your head up. Yeah. So I'ma
0: focus on you. Interesting. Yeah, so it's Not somebody- Not rocket science, though. Yeah, <laughs> it's somebody, somebody who's fitting outside the pattern. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, when, when I teach situational awareness, like I tell I th- people who who are trying to understand these processes, sometimes think, like when you walk into a room and uh, you scan, they say, oh, you scan everybody's hands because mm-hmm. that's the, the potential threat. And mm-hmm. then you do that, and then you, that's that's step one. And then mm-hmm. step two, as you move to the corner and mm-hmm. then you look at the, the glass, what I've realized in my own behavior is I'm doing that as part of my routine now, mm-hmm. naturally. Ooh. So I'll go in. Autopilot. And, and I'm on autopilot, and so it's not a very conscious thing, meaning I I don't have to be uber-focused, but I'm doing it passively, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is allowing the people around me, um, one, I'm not giving the behavioral indication that Mm -hmm, I'm doing it, mm -hmm. but two, I'm not making it inconvenient for the people around me. And what I tell people is, like if you're the guy and you want to impress your girlfriend because mm-hmm. you're like yeah I scan everybody left to right and then I sit in the corner because mm-hmm. you know I gotta be I gotta look behind you to watch your six yeah. then that's one thing yeah. but it, you, what you want to do is you want to make these things uh, seemingly passive to where you're not standing out of the pattern yeah because then if you are then you're like you said what we're looking for in counter surveillance is like oh it's very easy to identify who the cool guy is yep. or who the bad guy is yep which is which is crazy Yeah. let's so. I didn't realize. Uh, me and Kevin Owens have actually done a mission to target the Juba sniper. Like we actually. Are you kidding me? Yeah, no. Are gun. you shitting me? No, we did it. Whoa! Yeah.
1: This is a small yeah. world. It was. It,
0: it was. Me and him were doing a lot of counter sniper stuff in uh, 05, 06, and 07. But um, um, we we are actually the sniper element that was the handoff. With Chris Kyle's slapper team, no kidding. So we were doing the same mission sets, just on opposite rotations. It was kind of interesting. I think
1: I'll, I'll say the name offline, but I think some of you and me probably know some of the same people. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. The guy who shot Juba. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I lo-
0: my. I don't know if you ever seen it. I don't know if he, it, it's classified. I saw it uh, downrange, sure. the PowerPoint yep. of of him uh, smoking that dude. Yep. Uh, I so when when you look at that, I didn't realize that program was started in the origins of that. But yep. it sounds like to me, similarly to the Army's uh, asymmetrical warfare group. Yes, yep. This yep. idea of creating like a consultation outside element to yep. be able to teach um, something unconventional, right? Because when you're in war in a routine, you often because you're looking down at the ground, uh, figuratively, you don't. You're not able to adapt to the next threats. Yep. So having the AWG, having the Hunter program you're able to do that. Exactly. Did you see yourself, did they task organize you guys to be able to um, to act in that role and position? So you're able to talk to commanders, able to talk to platoon leaders, to to gunnies to be able to educate them on this skill set?
1: As much as they wanted to be educated. Um, yeah. Here it, it, with the thing with the military, that I'm sure you know, it's like everyone like, Combat Hunter was like for the infantry, it's made for the infantry, you know? And then like we'd have SF guys and uh, you know, MARSOC guys want to get it, but they ne- never had time. Mm. So if you had a commander that knew about Combat Hunter and what we did, He'd be all over you, like he'd be in the back of the class the entire day. This is a captain, colonel. I've had a colonel sit all day taking notes. You know, colonels got better stuff to do. Um, when they didn't have any education, they'd be like, What? Tracking? Yeah, you're not a Native American. Go away. You're not going to that crap. Uh, you know, I need you to go to the Humvee course. So,
0: oh. so it's like. So there were some guys that were close minded to, to the.
1: It was a PR thing. Yeah. Combat Hunter and the, the, and the things we we're talking about are not just you know mother marine corps things you're talking about you know emotional um, intelligence being able to you know scan people it's, let me give you an example this is, a, this is a good good military one i go and i start establishing my baselines on a ville i'm going in this village all day and every every time i go in this village they hate my guts they hate yusuf they hate marines they hate america kids are doing this they're doing all that but i keep going back and that's the same thing every time i've established my behavioral baseline for that town so what happens when i go in this fifth time? Everyone's doing their thing, pointer their thing, but I got one guy in the back smiling and waving. Hmm. That's my problem. That's where I stopped the truck. Like These people are playing by the rules. Come here, chucklehead, what's your problem? I want to talk to you. You're hmm. the needle in the haystack. Yeah. Now, everyone else here is following the rules. They hate my guts, except you smiling, waving. Yeah. So to try to get the Marine Corps to think like that, in a, out of, it, it's tough. Yeah, because that's tough. thinking
0: outside the box. Right? Way outside the box, yeah. yeah. Um, how many years did you do that for? A total of ten, total of about ten years. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you really committed to this,
1: <laughs> brother. When when you when you hear the information and people tell you, like my passion, you know. I have passion because I, it came that my passion comes from a bad spot, from being yeah. angry. Like I said earlier, like this could have helped people.
0: Losing teammates.
1: Losing, losing guys. And and so for me, it's like, I hated that feeling. I still hate that feeling. So I'm, I'm gonna do my damnedest by hook or by crook. So no one ever has to feel that feeling. Yeah, so that wow. keeps it going.
0: I see, I love that. I love, I mean, I'm driven that way as well. But when you're driven that way, then it's like being mission focused where you, you are setting everything up to benefit other people, yes. right? Because, so, yes. I mean, it's all about um, giving back. And so, you do this for a period of time, and then you get to a point where you realize um, this isn't just inclusive to a military organization. Yeah. This could be beneficial for everybody. Absolutely. Talk to me through that, because I want people to understand how important situational awareness is in their lives, because. Like I see people taking shooting courses. Mm-hmm. They shoot with me. Mm-hmm. They shoot with my my tactical instructors, and they love running and gunning. It, mm-hmm. it markets well in their own persona because mm-hmm. they could take a picture. They, they can tag the it. Yeah. They're the hero. But but they forget at the root of everything, the way you recognize danger mm-hmm. is how you mitigate risk. Yes. So if your eyes aren't open and and you know that's figuratively and literally. Then you're not going to be able to mitigate risk, and and then you're already in a fight before you even realize it. Yep. And and so you're people are training for the fight, yep. but they're not training to mitigate the nope. fight. And and situation awareness is kind of like that thing for us. How one? Why did you make the decision to train civilians, and then what's the start point for that?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it really was a specific point. I'd been like I said, I was training SWAT, military stuff, flying all over the place, having a good time, man. That was horse track in an Arizona, it was good stuff, you know, hanging with the boys. And then my I trained a good friend of mine, good friend, he's actually a former law enforcement himself. I trained him in the specific behavioral domains, kinesics, proxemics, all the stuff we talk about, all those things we give him. And like a year later, he calls me and goes, hey, the Vegas shooting had just happened. Mm-hmm. He goes, calls me out of the blue and goes, hey, you, can, I, can I tell you something real quick? Starts telling me how his daughter's in Vegas, or his daughter went to the Vegas massacre. I know his oh, daughter. I'm like, oh my God, like I don't know where he's going with the story. And he's telling me how she's right there in the middle, shots ring out. She, the, I taught him those these skills. He went and basically taught her the same thing. So I'd not. I, she got a second hand. She'd remembered what, what we talked about, about denial. Your brain will want to go to denial first. Yeah. So even if it sounds crazy, get out of that denial. So we, that was enough for her. The first uh, volley of shots ring out, no one knew it was a shooting yet. Everyone was kind of like, oh, that's weird. She doesn't have enough information, we have those trigger lines that I teach, and she grabs her boyfriend's hand and goes, you know what, I don't know what's going on, but we're out of here. She starts dragging him out, her friends try to stop her. Her friends are like, it's just fireworks, it's fire. And she's, she's like, in the middle of the concert, I can't even hear the music, that doesn't make sense. Wow. So as she gets to the periphery of the fence line, dragging her boyfriend, that's when the second and third volley rings out, and that's when people are dying and most of the react. casualties. Yeah, yeah. She's able to get out.
0: Yeah, because he was trying to hit. Uh, I have a buddy of mine who actually entered the room. Wow. On that guy. Wow. Um, his name is Marlow. Um, uh, he was actually in the first barrage, trying to hit the fuel mm-hmm. uh, tank mm-hmm. to to initiate, so that way he could mow everybody down. Wow. wow. So,
1: God, so that's so impactful. So. That hit me like a ton of bricks. Mike. that was like yeah. you know a big tough guy Marine Corps. Like I, I'll still get I got chills. Bumps. Now. Yeah, yeah, like I get choked up. I know her. I know him. So that that day I sat down and going what we talked about earlier. Like I love. I still train military and cops, but man, everyone else churches, synagogues, like our businesses, they're starting from zero. Sometimes less than zero. You know.
0: Yeah, we talked about that process, and let's, let's talk about that a little bit because you expressed like people have the negative, and and I look at negative meaning and not only do they have bad habits that they have um, you know, instilled in their life that mm-hmm. are counterproductive to yeah. their survivability, but they also um, have all these different layers of yeah. things that don't optimize them for having better yes. situational awareness. And, and let's talk about denial, because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's so important to talk about. I mean, many people don't talk about this, yeah. but when you hear a noise, when you recognize something outside the pattern of life, mm-hmm. There's a there's a contemplation period and then people are trying to figure things out. Yep And what I tell people and it's like an active shooting uh, training it specifically for civilians As I tell them when you're trying to figure something out What you're doing is you're, you're spending more time on the X. Yep. So do that in route or on on fill. Yeah, like physically moving your body there's no there's not like a, there's not very many circumstances in in being on the X in a danger area where physical movement's not going to benefit you. Yes, right? Exactly lateral uh, movement,
1: yeah, you know, displacement. all good. It's yeah. all good. Distance
0: in time yeah. from bad stuff, yeah. there's not really a a, a, a fallback. You're yeah. gonna get a return on investment in some way. A uh, worst case, you just got exercise. <laughs> so so let's talk about deniability. How do you break down that that kind of process?
1: So everything I do is 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 about prevention. Again, mm-hmm. I'm not here to teach you tactics. You know, I'm here to talk about prevention looking for those indicators. So the first thing to understand is what you're talking about, Mike. Understand that you are con- you are set, you have presets to go to denial. If you're an unconditioned person, if you've never seen or dealt with violence, I'm guaranteeing you right now, you will go into denial if some wicked non-standard observation has thing happens in front of you. You, yeah. will, you will go to vapor lock, okay? If you've never been conditioned. And the next step, once you go into denial, Your brain will try to rationalize. It doesn't want to deal with a bad situation. So um, I'll give you an example. Steven Katzmirczak walks into his geology class with a 12-gauge and shoots his professor in the face and turns to the crowd and starts playing human whack-a-mole with a shotgun. No one gets up. No one screams. They just watch him shoot people. He gets up. uh, He gets the last round on his gun, puts it up under his chin, and he ventilates his brains. Then everyone gets up and runs screaming out of there. They after they they talk to the witnesses, grief counselors. What do they say? Hey, why don't you run? Why don't you get up? You know. Well, I thought it was a test. Multiple people said I thought it was a test.
0: Even after seeing the professor blood
1: did- and all that, this is after the fact. Wow. Their initial reaction, and you see that a lot in these active shooter events because your brain cannot fathom. Your brain's like, no way did someone just pull a gun. That didn't just happen. So it must be a prank. And that's uh, denial is the biggest killer out there. Denial big kill you quicker than anything you talked about the time component to Mike like yeah you're, you're not sitting here trying to figure out every piece of information I teach people like I used to tell my Marines like if we go down if you look at me look over I mean I'm shooting my pistol like it's a bad day a lot of things have gone yeah. gone wrong and you better go down screaming orders I don't even care if those orders make sense you know but you better don't be Bloody screaming, something kicking people in the ass, getting them moving. You know, because yeah. that seventy percent solution right now, even though it's goofy, is way better than the hundred percent solution. Too late. Yes, after people've been shot. You know? Yeah, what you know? When I think about,
0: um, like, there's a part of a block of instruction I teach in a survival seminar. I'm mm-hmm. teaching one on February sixth uh, here in the headquarters at Hebrew. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a a component I talk about where this rationalization. Like I, I use the example of um, when you're in bed mm-hmm. and you're with your spouse and you're and you're sitting there and you hear a noise mm-hmm. down the hallway in the kitchen and then you write it off like most people write off that mm-hmm. noise mm-hmm. even though they've never heard that noise maybe before they go oh yeah it's the dog yep. and then you know the maybe the wife even goes honey you're gonna check on that like no 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 like. Oh, this is a dog, and she's like, and I just jokingly say, we don't have a dog, Because right? <laughs> yeah. people, because yeah. people rationalize whatever they want to rationalize. Uh, in that circumstance, I think because they're lazy, yes. right? People don't want to get off their ass. Yep. What is the what is the what is the tactic that you implement in place of the absence of um, of uh, you, you now? You have the understanding that you're going to try to rationalize, yes. you're gonna go through a denial phase, mm-hmm. do I replace that contemplation with action? What is a tactic to be able to be offensive in that?
1: You replace that with a question, okay? Well, not, or not necessarily a question, but a statement or something to think about. This is what I tell people. There's a bunch of stuff you can do, but this is the easiest way to look at it. Stop explaining away other people's behavior. It is not your position to explain away some strange behavior or some type of anomalous behavior. If you're out in town and you're observing your scan, you're walking around and something raises up on your personal Richter scale to you go, huh, that's funny. Well, first thing people wanna do is what? Oh, that's probably, he's probably just um, delivering something. He's probably just dropping off. Oh, he's probably a parent of the kid. Uh, That's another form of denial. So stop trying to explain it away. In fact, if you're in a position, if you see something stranger like that, be like, hey, what's up, man? How you doing today? Big smile on your face. You know, do a little contact. See how how their day is going, you know? But that's the biggest thing you do. Stop explaining it. That's where 99% of the people is fail. Like I, I teach people... Establish baselines hunt for anomalies now. It's time to make a decision when you find that anomaly my biggest disconnect and this is military This is cops. I've seen some some gnarly snake-eating dudes Establish a baseline in a out town spot my you know suicide bomb or whatever I put in there My anomaly only based on behavior not yeah. like a wire sticking out, you know, and then this they get stuck They oh. see the threat and they're like Hey, team leader. Hey, team leader, I got something. Come here, hey, hey, I need you to see this. Or they're trying to wave, you know, they're yeah. trying to like, you know, call a friend. They want affirmation. And that's when I go, Whatever my anomaly is in the town, I'm like, hey, go blow him up. Go blow him up right now. And I blow up and they're all butt hurt. Yeah. And in the debrief, I go, why'd I kill you?
0: Well, let's get to the decision point because is that, I mean, that process, I'm assuming, depending on the circumstance, um, you're not afforded a lot of time no right no, no, no. so when when you get to a decision point, what types of decisions are right decisions? I mean it, like I know there are things that people could do like we talk about in everyday carry like if you're if you're looking and trying to perceive a threat mm-hmm. um, and you're waiting to the point in which you're waiting to perceive an immediate threat, you're messing up your, the tactics because if you identified a guy who stands out for the wrong reasons mm-hmm. and then you're waiting into the point until he gets in front of you and threatens your life yep. to draw your pistol, you've missed 10 different steps ahead of uh-huh. time. How do you, how do you uh, communicate or teach um, the right decisions to yes. be made?
1: Checklists. Mm-hmm. It all goes back like to Like an emergency this. procedure. Emergency yeah. procedure. And keep it grouped. And not only you're asking me, like, hey, what should uh, what should my decisions be? Not only do you need to ask that, but how many decisions do I need to be thinking about? Mm-hmm. Your brain can only recall a limited amount of information at a time. In non-stressful environments, like right now, you can recall about seven things, mm-hmm. give or take. Stressful, like if I you know, set something on fire, that dumps to about three. Wow. So, you know, when your weapon has a malfunction, what do you do? Tap, yeah. rack, bang. Yeah, you yeah. Know? You follow uh, a, Yeah, When you're when you're on fire, what do you do? Stop, drop, drop, and roll. roll. When you're in yeah. trouble, who do you call? Yeah, 911. 911. Most people would be saying Ghostbusters right yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, keep them grouped in threes. Whatever your decisions are, I can't tell you exactly uh, what they're going to be, but you want to keep them grouped in things. I'll give you a military example. When I teach um, guys going forward, and don't even freak out on me right now, I'll teach them your decision making is kill, capture, contact. Yes. And people are like, oh, you're teaching our military to just kill? See an anomaly yeah. and kill? It's like, yeah. no, absolutely not, okay? Why I'm teaching them that decision making, I baseline, I do all the stuff I teach people and I observe an anomaly and it might be a threat. I don't know if it's a threat, but it's an anomaly. I want to start at, at you know, kill, be able be prepared, not shoot the anomaly, but bring my weapon up, be prepared to deal with a deadly threat. Be positioned. Be positioned. Okay. Yeah. What do I got here? Because if I start here, it's much easier to walk down that ladder. If I have a, a uh. not, if it's not a threat, and go, oh wait a minute, no, it's not a threat. I can come down, as opposed to what happens if we switch that. If I start the other way around, if that person is a threat and I'm trying to walk up that continuum,
0: your reaction time is too slow. Yeah,
1: I'm right. reacting to a deadly threat, yeah. and they're going to roll right over me. Yeah. So. Um, keep them grouped in threes, like that.
0: So that's, a pri- like, that's like a primary alternate contingency, exactly. like three courses of action, depending on the, yeah. the scenario. Yeah. This
1: doesn't mean kill, doesn't, yeah. doesn't mean spot it, it means be ready, be prepared to defend yourself, and then walk it down. That's for military, for everybody else, uh, civilians, everyone around there. Uh, I use the FBI's thing, they say run, hide, fight. Yeah. Cool program, just flip it around a little bit. Um, fight, run, hide. Yes. I want to fight up front for the same yeah. exact
0: reason. I, I changed the, that same exact thing to a. Um, I've talked about it in depth in mm-hmm. active shooting and and, um, and podcast, but I do a observe fight or flee, or observe flee or fight inversely because mm-hmm. you'd always be prepared to fight, right? Yeah. Yep. And what I think I think when I've seen like an emergency procedure is a technical response to like. Uh, uh, the behavior, yep. like you, the behavior of the airplane. You mm-hmm. take those indications that there's a potential threat, mm-hmm. and then you follow a technical protocol. Yes. Uh, it's, it you know, derives, I think, World War II is where it really ran home because test pilots were getting killed because mm-hmm. they're trying to be cognitive in the plane. Yeah. Decision a million making. different things. Yeah, yeah. they're <laughs> trying to decision-make when When the solutions to the symptom to addressing the symptoms were very technical and yeah. they and they work most of the time, so then they had these protocols for these emergency procedures that were in acronyms mm-hmm. that were lined out that's great and then oh. when I talk to people about uh the idea of displacement like like uh you're in Starbucks and you hear something that sounds like fireworks across the road mm-hmm. and then again, like people they contemplate that they deny it, and then they want to fill in their own experience like they say, "Oh, it's just fireworks mm-hmm. well it's I mean, it's January 21st right now. There, there are no fireworks. Mm-hmm. Why would there be fireworks? And they're trying to convince themselves. They're trying to something. convince you too. Yes.
1: They're telling you too. Nah, yeah. it's just fireworks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey uh, guy with a gun, yeah. he, that's just fireworks, right? Yeah. Um, is, there a, is there a means, because I mean, obviously the decision making process in threes, depending on the circumstance mm-hmm. for civilians is many. Right, yes. like it's the mm. it's the guy you see at the gas station. It's mm-hmm. the car that's, uh, you know, sitting in your driveway. Mm-hmm. There's a whole bunch of things. Mm-hmm. Have you ever found in teaching civilians that there's there's a, a, any rules or guidance that you could blanket that would work to fe- effectively uh, in 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 having civilians react or respond or make a decision?
1: Like. Uh, um, um. Are you asking like is a effective way to get them get them to understand situational awareness? Well, what I don't
0: I'm trying to figure out how like you, you, well, you have a civilian and they're trying to think through three protocols that mm-hmm. they have to mm-hmm. instill for the military. It's easy, yeah. But for a civilian who's in so many different situations, how do they? What's the next step in create in, in the decision point?
1: They would have to figure out those three decisions. So uh-huh. if they're still oh, stuck with in, yeah, in real time, in real time, got it, got yeah, it, got in it. real, no no, no. so yeah, you want to do this beforehand, yeah, but you're not going to be able to apply those three decisions to every situation. Yes. So you should have three go-to's. You know, like I like fight, run, hide. No, that got, can oh okay, that, got that, it, got that it, can got help wherever you go.
0: You got know? it. Fight, run, hide.
1: But it, if I'm on an airplane. Okay, am I going to run? No, I ain't running nowhere and probably not going to hide nowhere. So, you know, that changes the decision making. Yes. They just have to, you have to know and I can't tell you exactly what it's going to be but you have to figure out three go-to's that you don't have to come up with a plan when when people are getting shot, you know?
0: Got it, I like that. Mm -hmm. Because, okay, yeah, so... That makes sense to me because I never uh, I never agreed with r- run hide fight mm-hmm. because I was afraid that when and when I did simulation type training for civilians even observing role players mm-hmm. that were following a, the protocol mm-hmm. and then law enforcement officers were reacting to that mm-hmm. when you tell a civilian to run for example. Mm-hmm. If you don't define that, we're like, "What to run?" Yeah, it's like telling a Joe, right? <laughs> so telling like a private. Like, "Hey, hey, Joe, I want you to, I want you to run to that bunker." Yeah, yeah. and then you know they they have their gun in their hand. They run balls yeah, to the wall. Yeah. they are like, well, "I wanted you to run, but pull security." Yeah, like, yeah. oh Oh, well, Sergeant, you should have Ranger said Ranger shuffle. <laughs> yeah. So um, when I when I think about uh, especially an active shooting, if if you're given an EP and you have no cognitive. Um, Protocol, or you're not thinking through any processes, yep. and you're just reacting. You're likely just to run arbitrarily, yep. and it, which might mean you might run into danger versus yes. running out Absolutely. of danger, yep. um, or hide. Like when you say somebody hide in in the uh, in the protocol for active shooter, it always what I always saw with civilians, it, even as role players, it always set them up for not being prepared to fight mm-hmm. because yeah. it, when you're a kid, it, just like an adult, when you tell somebody to hide. They're trying to get somewhere they can't be seen, so they crouch, they get in a ball, and they get as small as they can. Mm-hmm. So then the guy who opens up the closet door, instead of getting hit in the face because you're prepared for that, mm-hmm. you open the door and then you see a person squatting and laying in the fetal, pretending like the door didn't just open yeah, yeah. because they're hiding. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. they get shot in the back. Yeah, you know. Um, is there what? What are some other processes in in situational awareness that you've seen? effective for both mill and, and civilians.
1: So once once you get down the rabbit hole, so what I do now that I'm, I, there's only one of me. So I'm, I can't, I'm, I did the one man band and I'm still doing a traveling around, but I, I stopped doing it and I started teaching people to be instructors of the stuff I'm talking about. Cool. Because I just can't teach enough of this stuff. Everyone's clamoring for it. the demand. Um, you know, it used to be corporations, businesses, you know, guys like you want to teach them tackle stuff and They're like, ah, you know, we're kind of a corporation. Those people are listening right now. Yep. Those people are like, what you got? you know but stop the bleed active shooter bring it down so I started developing got about 400 instructors right now it really goes back to like what's that guy's name he's a Canadian um, astronaut Jeez, I can't remember his name but he had a great thing so I feed you all these observable indicators you know all you can learn all these indicators but like you said how you gonna remember all that stuff in the middle of a gunfight you know you only can recall this amount of information why am I throwing all this stuff at you okay if, if, if the, the Canadian astronaut he talked about, like how do, how do you fly the space shuttle? It's this big, huge thing. How do you how do you understand it? He goes, I don't need to understand the space shuttle. I need to understand my interface with a space shuttle. Mm. His interface with that shuttle on launch is this big. Yeah. Well, you know his screen. He goes, this is my piece of the pie. So that's what I do with the behavioral domains. I give you a bunch. You know, I give you all the different components of what violence could look like. You know. Mm. And so little pieces of it that way, all you got to do is see one of them. You don't have to see all of them. You don't have to see everything, but if you see one of these like situational awareness, Someone might see that in town and go, whoa, wait a minute. I just seen that happen, and some crazy Arab guy was telling me about that one one time. It has to be taught though, right? Okay, a lot of it, it comes
0: natural for people, but there's no process or structure. It has to be taught.
1: What I, what I My curriculum and what I teach is very structured. You're right, you can pick this stuff by going to war. by being. Yeah. Condi- I, I teach cops all the time. I just did the terrorism liaison conference for um, California last year, like 400 cops. I'm not gonna teach a cop anything new. They're way better profilers than I, they've been doing it way more. They watch people all day, every day. That's their bread and butter, okay? But what I do is I come in and I add some verbiage, okay? Mm. So what'll happen is I'll teach and the old timers will walk up to me and be like, dude, I've been doing what you talked about for 20 years, but I didn't know it had a name. And I go, yeah, here's the name, here's the research behind it that you can cite in court in front of a judge.
0: Now they can articulate it. "Yeah, Yeah,
1: here, your honor, his, you know, instead of, oh, he was shady. Hey, why'd you shoot? I was shady. You know, <laughs> what, what, is is shady that? what does that mean? You're like, are you going to jail? You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's that, that proverbial military. So give me the green light, sir. It's yeah. like, what do you got? Oh, I don't know. He's acting hinky. It's like, okay, I'll yeah, kill that man. And that man's life. Cause I, you think he's, you know, he's we hinky. need more than that. Yeah. And you're probably right. That's a sad thing. Yeah. That person's probably on it. But he can't articulate. So if I can come Mm. in to someone who has experience, who has, you know, please give you some verbiage there, and boom,
0: give me some indications of um, of potential danger, yeah. is there a little, Let me like give you some high, couple, yeah, yeah, some high level yeah. ones. I'll give you
1: some high level ones. So, big one we talk about, uh, let's go with biometrics. I try to break everyone, the biometric domain is physiological responses, sweating and breathing and all that stuff, you can't stop. You know. So if I see someone, they have the correct skin complexion, if I'm scanning a crowd or I'm observing someone. It's that detailed, Yeah. skin oh. complexion. Oh yeah, it goes wow, way down a rabbit hole. Dude, awesome. eye dilation, yeah. pupil dilation. Uh, you don't want to play mean poker. Trust me that. So let's say you're scanning that crowd, you're watching, and you you see you're looking at me, and you see my face change from my normal skin to go white. That's vasoconstriction. You know What's your body doing? Your body has just felt such a high level fear response in your brain to itself, that it's like, you know what, I'm gonna start pooling my blood and my organs mm-hmm. to keep my brain alive. You're trying to go into fight or flight, it's, it's pumping. Conscious or unconscious, yep. you're, you're, you're pegging the RPMs right now, okay? Mm-hmm. Or you could be sick, yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. But if I see someone blanching or going white, mm. I'm going to go, you're going to get a tap on the shoulder. Yeah. Or if I'm with my family, I'm getting the hell, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it allows you to give a thread. Everyone's paranoid, Mike. Everyone's, look, all the political stuff happening, and everyone's paranoid, everyone's scared. They're looking for threats behind every door. When you're paranoid like that, that's not what I do. Yeah. You build bad You know, training scars, you're looking for threats everywhere, you're looking for that needle in a haystack. By learning these behavioral domains, we're burning the haystack down. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go to a mall, the baseline of all when you walk in and start, you know, analyzing behavior, 99% of the people should be playing by the rules, shopping. They shouldn't be overtly, you know, uncomfortable, blah, blah, blah. So wanna come into a room, ninety percent of the people figure out who's playing by the rules. And now we can usually paint those people out and now focus on the five, ten percent that are not playing, pacifying behavior or whatever, or maybe blanching. So that's how we get that. Um, pacifying behavior, any type of self touch. I know your listeners can't see this, but rubbing the back of the neck, cleansing of the face, cleansing of the hand, any any type of ticky self touch. I don't, again, I have no idea what's going on in your world, but I can say for sure you are having a a higher level threat fear response. Something bad's happening with you. Yeah. So if I'm a cop, I'm a security guard, and I tap you on the shoulder, I'm like, hey, what's up, Mike? And you turn around, you're like, yeah, what? I'm having a bad day. My wife left me. My dog has diarrhea. Okay, I get it. You know, sorry. But if you turn around and now I got pupil flash, and I look down, I get a little bit of shake, and all of a sudden you're answer- not answering my questions. You know, yeah, lip quiver. Do am I saying? Am I going to Goldberg this guy and take him down? No, but do I, do I have a piece of thread now? Yeah. Yeah, I got a little piece of thread, and what happens when you're pulling that piece of thread long enough? Things start to fall apart.
0: Yeah, that and, cover and, stories, and and you're, you're and you're, and for people who're listening yeah. to this, like these. These elements, like I always tell people about behavioral indications, is it it doesn't it doesn't mean ca- catastrophe. No, but what it means is one you're conscious because you're paying attention. Yep, and it, like the the structured, let's just call it game of staying in the game mm-hmm. is part of the way you maintain situation awareness. When you mm-hmm. check out. It, deliberate or not, you're accepting the mm-hmm. risk yeah. because now you have no skin in the game. Absolutely, because, yeah. Yeah, you're not. You're sitting on the sidelines. Yep. You're just going to wait to see what happens. Exactly. Um, there, I was actually pulling out right here uh, at this intersection, which is uh, out the window where we're sitting, and I was taking a left on this highway, and I was dicking with my phone. I mean, mm-hmm. I had a mount, a magnet mount system, and I was kind of uh, putting on nav. And as I would, I went to depart. I always check intersections consciously because mm-hmm. uh, that's when the majority of accidents happen is that mm-hmm. somebody running a red lighting and T-boning somebody else. Mm-hmm. So the car in front of me creeps forward and I look scan left and scan right as I typically do. And I scan left and I see a car coming full bore. It's going mm-hmm. 60, this is speed limit here is 55. It was mm-hmm. going over 55. And then she barrels through the red light. Mm-hmm. And then it's almost like I was like, oh, trying yeah. to reach to yeah. that car. Cringing.
1: Cringing. yeah. It's and gonna be
0: bad. t bones the car in front of me. So luckily, she t-boned. She never hit brakes. She never skid. She never saw the the vehicle. You Jeez. could tell in her face that she got spun around. But she hit the left quarter panel of the uh, front of the car, which is the engine block, um, which spun her out of control, but didn't kill the people in the car. Mm. If she would have hit their door jam, more likely they would have killed at least yeah. the driver. But she hits that. That they both spin out. They're both injured, but a fire truck was in the intersection. They pulled up. Um, I don't know how this happened, but he was literally sitting at the intersection. He drove 10 feet, put on his lights and and then made a call on his radio, and I knew they had it handled medically. But I, I, I reflect on that going, that guy, was oblivious to anything that was going on in his world. Mm-hmm. His interface, like you said with the astronaut, mm-hmm. was literally the steering wheel and a you know, a degree in azimuth on his windshield. Mm-hmm. He wasn't paying attention to anything outside of that mm-hmm. and lost situational awareness and paid for it. Yeah. Now and and that's the game that you play when you just don't pay attention. Yep. But what I love about your program is there's instructions? Yes. There's there's actually checklist. a checklist. <laughs> yeah. There's a checklist. There's a tactic yeah. to actually being more situational aware. Um, uh, wrapping up here, yeah. uh, trying to stay under an hour. What is what is if you had to give like a broad uh, word of advice for yeah. somebody who wants to be more situational aware? What, what would it be?
1: Yeah. Look, I've been doing, I will continue to do this, Mike. I will fly all over. I'll sing this stuff from the rooftops. Not, cause, not only because I'm passionate, not because cool, it's cool training, because I know for a thousand percent fact, it works. It saves lives. It brings people home. So I'm going to keep doing it, all right? Problem is I'm running into so much business right now that I'm dying okay I cannot handle it all right so my idea here is to to basically you know like the Boy Scouts were in America back in the day or yeah. like you know you a high school had a shooting club you yeah, know yeah, a yeah. shooting team where you had these community-based kind of mm, grassroots neighborhood watch thing to where I have a crazy me in every town and community in America. Yes. Right? We got 400 safe instructors and, and I'll give you the link and we'll have a link to it but that's where you go to learn these skills and give them to our churches, our synagogues. And if you want to teach police, military, that's awesome, that's great, but Again, these skills, it's not rocket science, but it's not common sense. And all it takes is someone to show you. They just take your head and go, look, dumbass. And then once you see it, you can't unsee it again. And this is the, the difference. So yeah, my safe instructor program is my main silo that I'm firing on because every... Propagating this information, every instructor I can make is, a, you know, that's a force multiplier. That's more Americans safe by looking for threats. That's amazing, man. How, how does that? How does that work? Is can you get that virtually? Yeah, is yeah. It, the whole thing is virtual. You don't have a an flyer.
0: academic type thing, right? Yeah,
1: it's nine modules of training. It's all online. Um, You don't have to fly on Meet Me, and it's self-paced too, so you go through it on your own time. So not only are you getting a training course with book lists and all the stuff I'm talking about, how to teach it, but also there's a monetization part. Hmm. So how I'm motivating people to do this, to, to get out and teach these classes, is to add a business component. So not only do you get all the knowledge, but how to get this information. Because coming out of the military man, Marine Corps, I didn't know anything about business. And that was the biggest learning curve, you know. So if I can give that gift to other people to get this information out here, I'm going to make you more money. If I can make you more money teaching the SAFE program, guess what? You're going to keep teaching and keep teaching. And one day, you know, there's a reason I never fly to Israel and teach Israelis my training, Mike, because Israeli kids don't even need this crap. Because when they're three years old, they're already taught it. Yeah. Complete lack of it here, but there's absolutely something we can do. Yeah, we're super
0: complacent as a nation. God. uh, So, so what I'll do is I'll, I'll put all the links down inside of the notes for this podcast because I want you guys to get involved. I'm actually going to take the training myself because I think it's super important. Let me ask you what are, what are the what are the short links? Do you have any media that guys yeah, can go so, to now?
1: Yeah, my, go my Instagram is probably the best. Uh, go to my Instagram. It's YusefBadu underscore emergence. It has a link tree on there. So that link tree will take you to the safe instructor program. We have our threat detection. And again, just click any of those links. Uh, I'm saying it'll get you there. We also have a Facebook presence. We have the threat detection group on Facebook's about nine, ten thousand uh, 10,000 members there. Awesome. So that's where that doesn't cost anything. That's where I just drop knowledge. I'll ju- jump in there every once in a while, do a live Q&A, do a case study, you know. So Threat Detection Group on Facebook, that costs nothing, and we're dropping good stuff in there all the time.
0: Awesome, man. Yeah, I look forward to spreading the word because... This needs to be taught. And it's cool meeting and talking to an expert at that one specific field. That's probably the most important field of expertise. No, not shooting so. that one, sub-second draw. It's <laughs> it's about everything that happens before. And like you said, preventing yep. the actual danger. Yep, yep. Thank, Thanks so much, Yusuf, for coming up on No, this
1: thanks for the invite, to be great.